brace yourself because you're about to dive into another free first hour episode of the Higher Side Chats. And we just want to let you know that whether you're looking for a companion through your paranoid insomnia, entertaining yourself through one of life's mundane activities, or trying to ward off the internal screams of all those sad, smothered souls around the office, THC is here. And you should know that every episode of the Higher Side Chats has an entire second hour for Plus members. Sign up at thehiresidechatsplus.com and you'll get years of Plus show archives, lifetime forum access, a special invite to Greg Carlwood's monthly joint sessions, MP3s of THC music, bonus episodes, four videos, and 10% off t-shirts, grinders, and whatever else ends up in the Higher Side store. It's $8 a month that you won't miss, so become a Plus member and treat yourself in these troubled times. Always action-packed and commercial-free, which means you'll unfortunately never hear my voice again. In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. All right, Higher Side Chatters, back in the saddle again from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and I wish I could say it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, but the reality is that our modern lifestyles are on very shaky ground. Many of us are largely living on corporate frankenfood, drive through dinners, and glyphosate-soaked crops, working extended hours under high stress for low wages, breathing bad air, drinking contaminated water, wading through EMF waves, and wanting just a bit more from our so-called civilized society. We can complain, we can wish for better, or we can take the time to fortify our homes, the only real thing we can control. I mean, what's the point of knowing society's dirty secrets if we don't act on them and construct a better life for us and ours? Because the revolution, dear people, will be individualized. And here today to help us armor up our humble abodes is the good doctor, Rob Brown. Dr. Brown has been a diagnostic radiologist for over 25 years who has worked in private practice and academic centers like NYU Medical School and the Cleveland Clinic Foundation. He's survived cancer, climbed Kilimanjaro, and written one hell of a book called Toxic Home, Conscious Home, A Mindful Approach to Wellness at Home. And in it, he gives you all the tools you need to beat back the beast and live your best life. So bend the knee, people, for the MD on the mountaintop, the good guidance guru, the toxic life corrector and conscious life director, Dr. Brown. Welcome to THC. Thank you, Greg. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, Well, thanks for doing it. This is a real treat. I found your book while looking for more ways to get into the solution side of things because our environment and lifestyles are so toxic. We've heard this for decades already with no signs of it getting better on a large scale. So my thought was we really need more individualized guidance and we need to start taking responsibility for how we live. And your book really hits home, no pun intended. (laughs) And the title really does say it all. But just to get this party started, maybe you could tell the listeners a bit about the journey because so many people go through the medical system and they tend to come out with more faith in it rather than less. And clearly a lot of self-education had to come into play, I would think, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I finished my training. And one of the first things that happened to me was I suffered a knee injury before I went to Kilimanjaro, as you mentioned in the introduction. 
And I did the conventional medicine route with an orthopedic surgeon who was going to prescribe me Celebrex and then recommended an arthroscopy. And I didn't want surgery. And I was going to go on this trip. And a colleague of mine whose wife was a distributor for a company that sold these magnets. And he asked me if I had an open mind. Was I willing to try them? And at the time, I thought I knew all there was to know about medicine. In fact, I was doing a fellowship in San Diego, actually, at the UCSD in musculoskeletal radiology. And so I really thought that I knew quite a bit about orthopedics and how to treat things. And when he offered me magnets, I thought, well, this is ridiculous. You know, (laughs) how could magnets heal you? Mm -hmm. But I put those magnets on and they healed me, to make a long story short. And I felt the effects within hours without any medication. I ended up with no arthritis. And I healed from these little magnetic discs. And that really opened my mind to the possibility that there was more to healthcare than pharmaceuticals and surgery, which is, of course, what medical doctors are trained to do in school. That cracked the veneer of the egg, the shell that I had developed during my training. And since then, I've done a lot of exploration with different types of medicine, everything from acupuncture and chiropractic to energy medicine, self-healing with the mind, magnetotherapy, all kinds of things to just try to push the envelope to see, well, what's possible? How do we relate to treatment and care beyond what we're offered by conventional allopaths? Mm. Yeah, life is a funny thing. One little experience with something like magnets can really open the door because it's always, well, if I had the wrong ideas about this, what else out there might I have the wrong idea about? And it's it's a powerful thing when people have that happen. And in your book, you cover a lot of ground, water, air, food, cleaning products, sound, smell, light, and even feng shui. It really is a full spectrum guide to living better. Of course, we know we have a lot of problems, but how do you diagnose the typical American home today? What sort of shape do you see the average family being in? Most people are what I would call unconscious. They're just not aware of what they're bringing into their home. They live for entertainment. You know, most of us are just living to be entertained and we really don't put any thought into what we do every day and what we're exposing ourselves to, the choices that we really have the ability to make, but we toss off. You know, we're bombarded by advertisement. We are fed ads and other information that companies are providing us because they're making a profit off of these products, of course. And so most people are unconscious. They have no idea what they're exposing their to every day. And homes are filled with toxins in all the categories that you mentioned. And that's why I pretty much divided it up into biochemical toxins and then electromagnetic toxins and then energetic toxins was the end of the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of people out there who can appreciate the raw truth that sometimes we're playing two hours of Xbox, watching two hours of Netflix, and yet we say we're too busy to find a good air filter for our home or something like that. It is a sad state of affairs, but you are right. We are living to be entertained. And uh, I don't know if that's what we're meant to do here. But one of the subject areas that I found most useful is your section on food preparation, cooking, and storing food. Because 
I'm definitely trying to eat better and make more meals at home, but you can have all the organic grass-fed food you want. There are still a lot of ways to hurt yourself even after you've gotten good ingredients, right? Absolutely, yeah. You know, we had the generation ahead of us that suffered, a lot of them have suffered with Alzheimer's disease and other neurodegenerative diseases, which a lot of people believe are associated with aluminum and copper toxicity. And what's one of the most common things that that generation did? Well, they cooked on aluminum pots and pans and they wrapped all their food with aluminum foil. One of the things that I first discovered when I was working on this book was my aluminum foil had this strange rainbow pattern on it and it made me think, gee, I don't want that touching my food. And the more I researched it, I found that the aluminum actually leaches out of the foil into the food when you wrap it, especially if the food's acidic or hot. And so one of the things that I had been doing for years is, you know, I would make spaghetti and I would have sauce on it and then I would wrap it up to put it in the refrigerator and I would wrap it in aluminum foil. And so this acidic tomato sauce was then leaching aluminum from the foil as it's sitting there in the refrigerator. And then I would put it in the oven with the aluminum foil still on it. And again, the increased temperature causes further leaching. And so that's something that most people are not aware of is that, yes, the materials that we store our food in or wrap it in, it's not inert. And these materials, including plastic wraps and conventional wax papers that are petroleum based, and you're getting this stuff into your food and it may alter the taste, it may not, but you're still ingesting these chemicals into your system and they get absorbed. Mm. Yes. I know about these aluminum concerns. I definitely think about them quite a bit. I've tried to cut out my addiction to soda for a lot of reasons, but one of them is acidic beverages and aluminum cans, but I stupidly didn't think much about aluminum foil. I know some people who, when they're putting a tray in the oven, they wrap it in aluminum foil first, I guess, to keep drippings from going everywhere. I don't know, but that seems like really counterproductive if you're trying to do right by your body. So there's such a simple fix is just wrapping it with an unbleached parchment paper before putting the foil on it. And it was very interesting. This past holiday weekend, I was looking for some recipes on the internet and I came across one and the woman was telling her audience, before you put this dish in the oven, put unbleached parchment paper on it, followed by aluminum foil. And she explained how the acidity of the sauce would then leach aluminum from the foil. And I thought, wow, that's great. You know, the message is really getting out there because this recipe was published in 2018. And I had spent the whole year like traveling around trying to tell people about this because people don't know about it. There was a big concern about aluminum and vaccines. Well, you know, we're ingesting aluminum. You know, you mentioned cans. Actually, the cans are lined with BPA. So that's another toxin that we could discuss. Mm -hmm. But the aluminum in the cans is actually protected by a thin layer of bisphenol A. It's an endocrine disruptor. And so soda and beer in particular can become contaminated with that chemical. Mm. And I've heard you talk about BPA. Obviously, we see all these bottles and plastics that are marked BPA-free, but that's kind of a bait and switch because there's many other chemicals that don't have the target on them like BPA does, and they just use those instead. It doesn't mean they're better for us. Exactly. You know, when the media picked up on bisphenol A being an endocrine disruptor and an estrogen mimicker, 
there was this big effort to make BPA-free bottles, BPA-free containers, you know, and plastics, because everybody's drinking out of these plastic water bottles, and the BPA was leaching into the water. And so, you know, we've got these epidemics, breast cancer's increasing, and gynecomastia and men's increasing, and everybody's obese. That's one of the things you can get from too much estrogen in your system. And so is there a link from the BPA in the plastics? Quite possibly. So what did these companies do? The plastic manufacturers replaced BPA with BPF, BPS, and similar compounds, which are not BPA technically. And so they can say that the bottle is BPA-free, and yet these chemicals are also estrogen mimickers and endocrine disruptors. So it'll take another X number of years before they too become a concern in the media, or perhaps there's just fatigue at this point and people don't care anymore. You know, <laughs> that's, yeah. that's kind of what happens, right? Well, I don't put it past people to give up in frustration when dealing with this kind of stuff because there's so much to deal with and it never really ends. And similarly to the BPA issue, to return to cookware a little bit, we have PFAO-free labels on a lot of cookware. And similarly, they just switch it for other chemicals. But I've heard you talk about some of these coatings on pots and pans can emit enough, I guess at high temperatures, they can emit enough fumes to even kill a bird. Yeah, the PFOA, you know, if you had a Teflon pan and you had a bird in the house, if you heat the pan too high, these chemicals are emitted from the pan and they can kill a bird, exactly, if you have a bird in the house. And I think that some of the packaging may even say, you know, don't keep a bird in the kitchen if you're cooking with this pan. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous. But we actually had a bird and so it became an issue. But I don't recommend nonstick coatings at all. I like titanium. The anodized aluminum pans, as long as they're not chipped or nicked or fine, and some of the ceramics are okay. Again, a lot of these materials, you may have some products that are good and others that are not. You really have to do your research. And then once you get a product you like, you, know, you have it. That's it. You don't have to worry about it anymore. Mm -hmm. Right. I have heard some of those ceramics on the cheaper side, they do contain a lot of chemicals or binders or heavy metals, that right. kind of thing. So, yeah, got to be careful. Exactly. Mm. It's hard to just say, you know, this category is 100% safe. We really are fortunate to have the internet at our disposal, that we have so much information that we can access at any time. Of course, there's a lot of misinformation we have to be aware of, but as long as you put the time in to research reputable sites, you really should be able to make choices that are healthier than others. And since we're on the subject, are there resources that you trust that you go to for the health data on consumer products? You know, my favorite website is EWG, the Environmental Working Group. They have put together all kinds of lists for everything from kitchen products to personal care products, suntan lotions, all types of home cleaning products. It's an excellent site, and they offer ratings for all types of products that you can find and it's an excellent resource. That is great. I hope people do start using that. And, you know, we talked a little bit about the bait and switch with chemicals and labeling is wrapped up in this as well. We find out one chemical is bad. They stop using that, slap a big happy label on it. And 
I've heard you talk about this across other industries, even outside of food, that people might not realize each industry has its own requirements and definitions for certain words. Like the word organic means basically nothing outside of food. Is that right? That's right. In the personal care products industry, they can throw out the word organic or all natural and it means absolutely nothing. So, (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you have to have a legal definition. And so I know that Diane Feinstein is working on, I think she just put out a bill to try to get more uh, requirements for labeling of personal care products, the Personal Care Product Safety Act. I think in March she put that out there and hopefully it'll pass. But there's very few labeling requirements for personal care products. There's no way to know what you're putting on your body. And I think, you know, I'd like to be an optimist in this respect. I don't think that the companies initially were doing this to poison everybody. I don't, <laughs> I don't believe that was the initial intent. But I think that back when these formulas were created, that the general understanding was the body was basically impermeable to a lot of these things and we're solid, right? And so you put something on the skin and it's going to, like water on a duck's back, it's going to brush off or wash off without realizing that we're actually absorbing these chemicals. Hmm. But now that we know that, they really need to get over the inertia of just keeping the status quo and improve the formulas, reduce the number of chemicals that we're all being exposed to because we're getting sicker as a population. Right. It's not a financial thing. And it's not just about attacking the industry. It's about keeping our population healthy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And with these big corporations, once they have gotten set in their ways, it's very tough for them to pivot. It's much easier to just cover things up and right. lie and all that kind of great stuff. And we keep giving them our money. But (laughs) I also wanted to get into the whole energy section of your book. It's almost a book on its own, but you cover light, sound, electromagnetic fields, feng shui, and more. And energy is a much more abstract thing. Some is measurable and some isn't. But just to talk about energy and spirit overall, this is an often overlooked component. Why should we be giving this more attention than we do? How has it become a priority for you? I think the most easily applicable component of this section of the book is that of the health effects of light and EMF, electromagnetic frequency, on the production of melatonin. That's something scientifically proven, and it's something that people can really understand because our immune systems keep us from getting sick. They keep us from coming down with the flu. The immune system protects us from developing cancer because we have natural killer cells that get distributed through the body and eat up cancer cells as they're appearing. And so if your immune system becomes depleted or inefficient, then you get sick. Now, what we've discovered is we live in a society now where we have this artificial illumination that we all live in, either during the day, most of us are living indoors under fluorescent lights or LED lights, and then we go home and we put on TVs and we watch laptops and other screens. We have indoor lights, and then we go to sleep and we have lights in our bedroom. Maybe people sleep with the TV on, they've got illuminated displays on their alarm clocks, they may sleep next to the cell phone or a Wi Fi router. 
I should go into a little bit of the physiology, but I'll just try to make it as simple as possible. The brain has a gland in it called the pineal gland. And the pineal gland receives information indirectly from the eyes. And even if the eyes are closed, the eyes can sense light, which is a form of electromagnetic radiation. If you're familiar with the electromagnetic spectrum, it goes all the way from very low fields that we have with radio towers and cell phone towers, and it goes all the way up through X-rays and gamma radiation. And all of this is emitted from the sun, right? Except that our atmosphere takes out the harmful components of the UV spectrum and X-rays and gamma rays. So we basically get heat and light from the sun. And our bodies, like all the other animals on the earth, use the night and day cycle. Our bodies are in sync with it. They're supposed to be anyway. And it's called a circadian rhythm. And one of the effects that we have is we produce this hormone called melatonin. The pineal gland produces it. And so if your light-dark cycle gets screwed up, your body doesn't produce melatonin. Hmm. So you need to have a predictable light-dark cycle in order to properly produce melatonin. We're learning more and more about melatonin all the time. We know it's very, very important for the immune system, in particular, the production of natural killer cells, which protect us from cancer. So the people who are not getting proper sleep because their night-day cycle is screwed up, they're getting sick more often. They're coming down with cancer more often. And there's a lot of studies that have shown this. So what we need to do is to get the understanding that you need to have full spectrum light during the day so that your brain knows that it's daytime. And then at nighttime, you need to have darkness. Not only darkness, but you have to eliminate all sources of electromagnetic frequency from your bedroom. Because the brain, it'll sense light, but it also senses EMF. And so the pineal gland, if it's receiving EMF, which travels through your skin, and it'll go through your bones, it'll hit your pineal gland, your brain will think that the sun's out. Mm -hmm. So even though your body's sleeping and you think that you're sleeping, if your brain is receiving EMF or a background light through your eyelids, you're not going to produce melatonin. So that's something that we have to try to tell people. Turn off the Wi-Fi router or take it out of your bedroom, as far away from your bedroom as possible. Turn off the lights. Make sure there's no ambient light in your bedroom. And before you go to sleep, you should not look at an LED screen or a blue light or these fluorescent lights or LED lights. So all of those forms of illumination tell the brain that the sun's still high in the sky and it delays your production of melatonin. Mm -hmm. That makes a lot of sense. Yes, it's important to sleep in darkness and in an EMF-free environment. But a lot of us during the day, obviously, we have to go to work and probably only a fraction of us have control over the lighting within that work environment, but some might. Yeah. And of course, we do have the weekends off. So when we are inside, you know, we have incandescent bulbs, halogen, LED. Is there a proper artificial light to get for the house? Like what's the best? What's the worst when it comes to some of these bulbs? You know, there are full spectrum lights and the new LED lights, a lot of them emit a bluish frequency. So that should be sufficient. Hmm. 
The ideal bulbs are full spectrum lights. They're called full spectrum. Or, you know, go out during the day if you can. Take a, even just a 20-minute walk in the middle of the afternoon. If you're busy, you know, at work and you can't get out, just 10, 15 minutes just to, hey, that the sun's out, you know, <laughs> it's, it's daytime, you know. Yeah. I mean, hey, I got friends who will take any excuse for a, another smoke break. So you know, <laughs> right. they're doing it for their health. <laughs> yeah. So LEDs, you mentioned, this is curious because I hear they're quite bad. I mean, just to list a few things I've heard. When using LEDs, you might end up with increased cellular damage and, incre and increased cellular damage and decreased repair and regeneration. They can exacerbate chronic disease of all kinds by promoting mitochondrial dysfunction. I mean, that sounds pretty bad, Doc. Are you trusting some LEDs? Are, are they not all created equal? Well, you know, I, the technology is changing. When I wrote the book, the light in vogue was CFLs, the compact fluorescent lights. They emitted UV radiation and were dangerous. The best were the incandescent bulbs, just the regular bulbs. But I guess because of the energy inefficiency, they phased them out. But they were the best type of bulb, I believe, for indoor lighting. You know, some of the, the LED lights, I don't particularly like them. But in terms of melatonin production, I believe the effect is your brain knows that it's a form of radiation that your brain perceives as being like a bluish tint of light. Mm. You know, there aren't that many options. You go to these lighting stores and you have fluorescent lights, you have LEDs, and there's not much else to choose from. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, sometimes there's just no great answer. And you mentioned the EMF soup that our bodies are in, the Wi-Fi, cell phones, smart meters. What about dirty electricity? Are you concerned about just excess electricity coming off of the devices that were around? This is something that isn't talked about quite as much. You know, I've measured the dirty electricity. It doesn't travel very far. You know, some people are electrosensitive and they really they can react to even very low amounts of EMF. And so like a dirty electricity would be, I would consider a very low background level. Most people are not going to react to that. It's not like having a cell phone in your pocket or having a Wi-Fi router in your kitchen or, or in your study or in your office. To me, that's a much more significant exposure to EMF than the dirty electricity. With that being said, if you're electrosensitive, there are things that you can put in your outlets to clean up the dirty electricity. Some people shut off the main power to their house while they're sleeping. Mm. They turn off the circuit breaker so that there's no electricity running through the walls at all while they're sleeping. Some people don't want to sleep in a bed with a metal frame because the metal frame can conduct electricity or the frequency anyway. So I guess it depends on really what you need. For most people, that's not going to be necessary. But if somebody is electrosensitive, then yeah, they've got to keep peeling away the levels of exposure that they have until they get to a point where they can live without having any sort of symptoms. Right. And on the subject of finding out what we need, apparently you can even hire a local building biologist to assess our EMF environment. I hadn't heard of that. Yeah. And they're finding that EMF also can exacerbate mold toxicity. So there are some types of mold that are reacting to EMF and they can become more virulent, I guess. And mold is really becoming a terrible problem for many all over the country. 
In fact, I'm going to a mold conference next week, hmm. but there's a great concern about mold toxicity and EMF having a synergistic effect. Yes, that's sad to hear. And it's frustrating because I think so many of us are in rental environments. And so we're very limited on what we can even do. Obviously, a lot of landlords, they work with the lowest common denominator or they want to put in the minimal amount of effort or expense into improving the quality of your living environment. And a lot of people have this, well, I can't see it. I'm not going to think about it attitude because they know that coming to the landlord with some of this stuff is not going to mean a whole lot. Yeah, that's terrible. You're right. Mm. It's just the reality of it. And on the subject of cell phones, I heard you make a, a creative comment that, you know, we've all noticed they're making the cell phones bigger. Maybe that's by design because they say we're not supposed to put them in our pocket, though, of course, we just have to because that's <laughs> How do you carry stuff around? You know, I'm not going to fanny pack it up. I'm going to put that thing in my pocket. But maybe they're trying to make that more difficult so they can avoid the backlash that will happen when none of us can have any kids. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> it's true. Well, I carry my cell phone in my hand. If I put it in my pocket, I put it on airplane mode. And I recommend that all of your listeners do the same. You should not put your cell phone in your pocket with it turned on. It's uh, yeah. <laughs> easier said than done. Well, not really. I mean, it is quite simple to push that button, but then you don't get your calls. You don't get your texts. You don't get that dopamine hit from the little <laughs> red thing coming up. Yeah, but there's a pleasure in, in just being able to walk around without being able to be contacted, you know? <laughs> well, yeah. And then your wife's screaming at you. Do you not answer your phone? I see you on the damn thing all night. You can't answer right. it. But, you know, that's life. Uh, so I also wanted to ask you on this sort of subject about microwaves. I've always been skeptical of them. I stopped using mine a while back. It's quite easy to just reheat things in the traditional oven. But Absolutely. Do, do microwaves concern you? They do. I threw my microwave oven out about five or six years ago. It's funny. That's one of the things that people are just, they refuse to do away with the microwave. And they say, oh, well, I just use it to reheat water, but I don't know what the microwave is actually doing to the water. So, you know, one of the things that when you start talking about energy and frequency and, you know, water carries frequency. Yeah. And so if you're going to blast it with microwave energy, what are you doing to the frequency of the water? And what then is that doing to your body when you ingest it? So it's a different level of thinking about just water, but I think it has potential health effects. Now, I read some early studies that were suspicious that microwaves could cause disease, and they were squelched at the very beginning of the technology. And the scientist who wrote it was discredited, which is common, you know. Yes. <laughs> that, that happens over and over again, <laughs> unfortunately. But to me, it was concerning and I personally never liked the taste of food that's been microwaved, even the taste of reheated water, heated up water. I didn't care for it. It always struck me as just kind of a, hmm, what am I eating here? And so I don't recommend people use the microwave. I just like a conventional oven and a range. Yeah, well, there's definitely texture issues with the microwave. If you've ever made meat, it comes out rubbery and bread's just inedible. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know I don't know why we still label this as something that's more convenient because it doesn't seem that way to me. 
I know you've, uh, well, I, w- I wanted to read this quote from the book on the subject of technologies and reporting that might not be so favorable, but you say the tendency for industry to promote new technology at the expense of human health is nothing new. Consider that the danger of radiation was known in 1927, yet it wasn't until 1970 that radiation boxes, which allowed children in shoe stores to see their toes wiggle inside of their shoes and were marketed as providing the best possible fit, were finally banned in 33 states. As a radiologist, I find this particularly disturbing. And that's kind of interesting because I never even heard about something like that, that kids were putting their feet in boxes and getting these like little x-rays, I guess, that were looking at their uh, the, the fit of their shoes. But it's a great example because I don't think a lot of people know about that. And clearly it shows a near 40, 50 year delay in actually doing something about exposure. Right. Most people refer to the cigarette and tobacco industry and cancer as the go-to for industry causing disease and not willing to admit it. But I thought being a radiologist that I would talk about this pedoscope is what it was called. Because, yeah, it's unbelievable. That's what we allowed for so many years, (laughs) even though we knew that radiation caused cancer. Yeah, it's a, a curious thing. And So I know you've taken an EMF assessment of your house. You've gone around and kind of tried to fine-tune it. Did you find anything that maybe wasn't so obvious or something that surprised you that was putting off more than you thought it would? At the time, I had a portable phone system. I know most people don't have those anymore. But this was a portable phone system that had some satellite phones. And the base that had the recording, you know, the tape recorder or whatever it was that would record the messages was in the kitchen next to the sink. And whenever I would do the dishes, I felt this low level of anxiety. You know, it was just a very subtle feeling of uneasiness when I would do the dishes. And it was there for years. And when we did the EMF evaluation of the house, that phone emitted a very powerful EMF that just went throughout the entire first floor of the house because it was communicating with all the satellite phones. And that surprised me. You know, I then unplugged it. It wasn't emitting EMF only when it was in use. It was emitting EMF 24-7. So I unplugged it, and then, of course, it stopped. And then I was able to wash the dishes, and I didn't feel that anxiety anymore, which was very interesting because it was subliminal. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't something that I really gave any thought to. I didn't like washing the dishes. It was just one of these things I couldn't wait to get done with the task. But that was interesting. Also, the Wi-Fi router, I had had it in the basement, but it shot up through the floors. And so even when I was trying to sleep, like I said earlier in the session, I was being bombarded with EMF while I was trying to sleep Hmm. from the Wi-Fi router. Well, I know you mentioned that prospect of turning off the breaker, even just the one for the bedroom. Have you experimented with that? No, but what I did do is I put the Wi-Fi router on an appliance timer, which is an easy fix. You know, one of those appliance timers that you use for lights when you leave the house. Mm -hmm. The Wi-Fi router clicks off when I go to bed and it turns back on when I wake up. And so when I'm sleeping, there's no Wi-Fi in the house. Mm. 
That is probably great advice. You don't need it when you're sleeping. Have it shut off at midnight at, at the at the latest. I mean, right. you know, you should do it with the sunset, basically, it seems. But still, it's something. Yep, absolutely. You know, they say a half an hour. If you turn it off a half an hour before you go to sleep, if you stop looking at a laptop or a cell phone screen a half an hour before you go to sleep, then your circadian rhythms and your melatonin production should be okay. Mm. And you mentioned that that subtle feeling of anxiety you were feeling doing dishes around the phone. That is why it is so important to have some mindfulness. I mean, I know that's such a trendy buzzword that means almost nothing to a lot of people. But if you spend the time every day to think about how you're feeling, you can sort of identify those little nuances and maybe make adjustments other than you know, just ignoring it. Right. Yeah, such an important thing. And on the subject of energy, let's get a little more esoteric with it and talk about feng shui. I've always been kind of interested in feng shui. From a distance, I appreciate the idea of energy flow in the home and working to perfect it. Of course, when you're moving from lease to lease every year, it becomes hard mm -hmm. to focus on. But what are some of the major principles of feng shui? How did you really start to unravel how important this is? It was a process. I received a couple of books on feng shui back in, I think it was the 90s when it was popular, and I never read them. It looked interesting. I might have flipped through the pages and then I put it on my shelf, never got to it. But I had some interesting events happen in my life that were very negative, inauspicious is the word that I use in feng shui. Had some financial stuff happening and work stuff and relationship, all kinds of things were askew in my life at one point. And I started looking for answers, like what on earth is going on here? And that's when I picked up the feng shui technique and started looking at it. And it's all about, yes, bringing energy into your home or into your life and having it move within your home in a controlled fashion. And so there's different techniques of how to keep the energy flow from moving. Like Simple things like reducing clutter or properly positioning furniture. And you don't want to have the energy exit the house too soon. So things like closing the lid on the toilet bowl, which is a place where the energy leaves the house, or through windows. It's, a lot of it has to do with the design of the house and how the house is constructed, but it's also the colors you choose, the furniture placement, and things that you put around the house, you know, objects. And so one of the things that people can kind of maybe take from this is the idea of symbols. You know, a lot of us put symbols in our house. They have special meaning for us. They don't necessarily have the meaning for all people. When I talk about this in class, I'll talk about the Star of David, for example, or the crucifix, the cross, without Jesus on it, just a cross. Those two ancient, ancient symbols of course, most of us have religious associations with, but they actually represent very, very basic ideas and concepts that are spiritually oriented that go way beyond their religious origins. You know, they're much older than that. And so a symbol can even just be like a trophy, you know, that your kid won or a badge, some type of badge or something that honors you. And so the placement of symbols in the home is very important because you want to keep positive 
energy. You want to have the symbol represent something that's positive, but not be hurtful to somebody else who's in the home. So I tell people, you know, if you have two children and one is successful at sports and the other isn't, well, then putting the successful child's trophy in a common room is going to be hurtful potentially to the other child. And so it doesn't belong there. You know, the common rooms should be welcoming to everybody in the home. And then the trophy can go in the child's bedroom or a corner of a room, whatever is designated for the one who's successful. And so in order to create an environment where everybody in the home is feeling peace and joy is the ideal, at least in the common areas, the kitchen, the living room, the den, the TV room, the playroom, wherever people congregate and, and there's more of a yang energy or a active form of energy. Mm. Yes, I interviewed Dr. Jacob Lieberman not long ago, and he talked about kind of this exercise of, of course, we all know that the reason we see objects is because light is bouncing off of them. And he kind of has this philosophical idea of, well, trust the light and address what you see. Because how often do we see something like dishes in the sink or laundry and we look at it and it gets our attention clearly and then we just dismiss it and we're like, I'll deal with that later. And of course, then you go through that process maybe four or five times before you actually deal with it. And you're creating a lot of negativity in your own mind, a lot of stress over that, where if you just addressed what you saw that you know needs addressing, maybe you could stave off a little of that stress and you'd be better off for it. Well, that's being present. You know, we talk about the presence of mind. Eckhart Tolle wrote The Power of Now. And Do you ever read that book? I know of it. Yeah, it was an excellent book, and it talks about the importance of being present, which is what you're describing. So yes, if you can bring your awareness to the present, that's really the moment in time where you have the ability to make decisions. You can change the course of your life in an instant, right? In the present, in the now. And so if we're going through life and we're always focusing on something that's going to happen or something that did happen, we're missing life effectively. And so the idea is the more that you can spend your time in the present, then the more you're living, you're actually enjoying life, you're experiencing life. And that is really when you're your most powerful. Right. It's an empowering thing to understand that so many people have the victim mentality or they just have this go with the flow attitude because religious authorities, governmental authorities they all kind of make you feel quite powerless. And yeah. there's a real psychological benefit to realizing you do have a little more power than you think, and you can control your environment more than you're led to believe. Yes. You know, people say, well, what is power? You know, my children say, well, what does it mean to be powerful? We are ultimately all powerful, really. You have the ability, I believe, to actually create your own reality. Mm -hmm. And so that's where the book gets very esoteric. Within the presence, we have the ability to create with our thought and we bring experiences into our lives. And so if you dismiss that, if you give that up to somebody else, instead of being a creator of your own destiny, you're going to be a pawn in somebody else's destiny. Right. Yes. I've had some kind of occult advocates or occult practitioner researchers on and 
that's kind of their attitude. A lot of people might have this impression that, oh, all that stuff is scary and evil, leave it alone. And some of these people have expressed those same feelings of, well, if you don't kind of learn your own mind and learn the layers of it and the subconscious and the power that you truly have, someone else will put you to use if that's what you want, because you really don't have any choice between those two. Take control of your own life or someone will do it for you. You'll be a cog in someone else's machine. Yeah, a vacuum demands to be filled. If you have empty space in your calendar, it's going to get filled, right? <laughs> if you don't have anything to do for the day, all of a sudden something's going to happen. You're going to be busy. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it works. A vacuum demands that. So if you don't put forth the energy to create something wonderful in your life, you'll be a victim, subjected to whatever else is going on around you. It's kind of like being in an ocean. I like to think of consciousness as being like an ocean and there's all these currents and you have the ability to just kind of bob up and down and let the water take you where it's going to take you or you can swim. Mm -hmm. I like that analogy. And to return to feng shui a little bit, what is the feng shui bagua? This is the basic map, right? The Bagua map, yeah. Bagua. So feng shui is all about balance. And there's something called the Loshu square where if you add up all the dimensions, you know, you go either diagonally or up and down, it all equals, I, I believe it was 13. I can't, I think the number's 13. In any case, it's the same idea for the house, except that you're not using numbers, you're using the elements. And so there are five basic elements in feng shui you've got earth you've got metal you've got water you've got fire and you've got wood and so these are the five basic elements that you're working with in your home to create harmony and depending on how your home sits on the cardinal directions you know east north south and west the different rooms in your home will correspond to one of those different elements and so the idea is to balance the home with those energy centers. And so an example would be your southern facing room would be the fire element and your north facing room would be the water element. And so to kind of emphasize those in your home, for the fire element, you would want to have windows, lights, the color red, orange or yellow things that make you think of energy and heat. It may be an oven or a fireplace, a stove, your kitchen. And things that are on the northern side would be, like I said, the water element. So you would have blues and greens, perhaps a water feature like a water sculpture. You might have artwork that displays water or some type of water theme. And so you play with these different types of elements in the home and you create something called the Bagua map and it's a harmony of the different elements. Yeah, it sounds kind of complex, but it really isn't when you see the map and you just think about overlaying it with your house and getting a simple app that gives you the cardinal directions and then you just map it out from there, I guess. Yeah, it's a process, you know, and it's important to be conscious when you're going through the process because then, of course, you're becoming much more aware of your environment, right? And so that's part of the process is becoming aware, where is south in my house? Where is north? Where is west? It becomes more than just a direction. It becomes a source of a certain type of energy. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And they also talk about poison arrows. What are those and how do we avoid those? So poison arrows are, they're elements of the room that jut out. For example, if you had a corner in the room that was kind of protruding into the center of the room, if you imagine the energy coming and sliding along the walls, it would then kind of form a plane that would then bisect the room. Or if you had bookshelves that were open and you had like these slats of wood and they didn't have any sort of frame to conceal them, you can imagine if you had some type of energy on those boards and it would move into the center of the room as sheets of energy as opposed to being rounded and billowy it would be like sheets does that make sense it's a little mm-hmm. bit it's very abstract well these types of energetic movement are called poison arrows because they create disharmony they make you feel ill at ease mm-hmm. and so the idea is to soften them and you can soften them with pieces of fabric some type of deflector like a wind chime or something that's going to hang from the ceiling or some type of rounded potted plant that's going to be in front of it. Anything to take the eye off of the poison arrow. Hmm. So when you walk into the room, you don't see this open shelving. You see maybe some type of sculpture that's in front of it, blocking it and deflecting it. Interesting. We should really maybe just think about the energy flow as water flow and just things that would disrupt its flow should probably be either done away with or those edges dulled. I mean, poison arrow, mentally, symbolically, that's a pretty easy concept to gather. No sharp edges in the house, essentially. What they tell kids. Yeah. And feng shui means wind and water. So that's a good way to look at it, you know? Yes. And Of course, you write about the power of meditation and its importance, and you say that candle meditation is your favorite. Why is that? What have you gained from the practice of not only just meditation, but this emphasis on candle meditation? When I stare into a candle and I go into a trance, I really get out of this realm. I really go into the zone. I definitely get into a deep meditative state, and I find that My mind doesn't wander nearly as much as if I'm doing some other form of meditation. But I do believe that any type of meditation is fine. It all brings you to the same place. And it's such a personal choice. But for me, I do. I love the candle meditation. Hmm. I might have to try that because I've definitely tried to dedicate more time to meditation. I've got a couple of good apps that just keep me um, in the routine. But... Counting breathing? I don't know. I only get so far, it seems. I sometimes get relaxed, but I'm definitely not having any liftoff for, for sure. Right, so yeah. maybe uh, maybe the candle meditation is what it is. And you're just, I mean, fire is an interesting thing. So you're really just staring into the flame of the candle and letting that take all your focus and letting all the other thoughts drift away. Is that the gist? Yeah, you stare into the blackness of the flame and you just kind of go into it and You put your mind there and everything else should just disappear. And if you do it right, you really don't even see anything else at that point. You're looking into the black of the flame. It's not that you lose your sight, but you are no longer seeing, if that makes sense. Mm, It does. If you do it correctly. When you get into that state, when you get to a certain level, you can then put something that you've pre-decided into that space. So let's say... 
I want to create some experience in my life, I can then have a symbol that I've then drawn on a card or that I can think about. And then when I'm in that space, I can bring that symbol up into my mind and see it with my mind's eye, not my eye eyes. It becomes clearer. And the longer you hold the focus, my understanding of my experience is the more likely it is that you will manifest that experience. Wow. Wow. I love hearing about the power of manifestation. A lot of people still tend to dismiss it because it just seems like the ultimate power. It seems like we're basically Aladdin's genie if we want to be. Yeah. And it just seems quite strange. And, you know, the old phrase, if it sounds too good to be true, it sometimes is. But I've I've seen some some things that allude to it as well. Maybe I haven't cultivated it to uh, the highest heights, but there's something there. So we have talked about a lot of toxins today, a scary amount even, and it almost does feel like a full-time job to take on all these different elements. But as they say, knowledge is power if you act on it. So I hope people do that. And... You've just done a lot of really impressive research. You put together this full spectrum guide to a healthier home, and I'm sure the people appreciate it. Do remind them where they might be able to follow your work, see the added material on your blog, or anything else that you might have going on that would be good to tell them about. Sure. My uh, blog and website is robbrownmd.com. The book is available from my website. It just links you to Amazon. It's available on Amazon and also Barnes & Noble. And I think the Apple Bookstore or iTunes. I think you get it there too. And they can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I don't post too often, only when I have something to say. Wise. Yeah. When your listeners, they can sign up for my website and I do send out a newsletter every now and then again when there's something important to disseminate. Mm. Perfect. Well, thanks again for taking the time and for dedicating your career path to helping people and fighting back against the big machine. I definitely salute you for it. So thanks a lot and take care out there. Thank you so much, Greg. It was a pleasure. You got it. The power of Christ compels you, higher side chatters. Closing out the month in style, Dr. Rob Brown. Killer book. Really great section-by-section section breakdown of the poisons and toxins in our homes and what to do about them. I know that sometimes these practical kinds of shows can seem a little repetitive, maybe, like we're going through the same Rolodex of issues, but I always try to keep that in mind and make sure we're getting a good amount of new content in there. And for me, the real value here is in the cooking and food prep parts as well as the feng shui stuff. And I just think Rob is a good guy, good energy. We had some laughs, but he's also very knowledgeable and detailed about his material. So definitely all good ingredients for producing an enjoyable and informative podcast. And I took the Bagua feng shui map and dug out a compass myself and really tried to see what the deal was with my own living space. And funny enough, my front door faces southeast, which according to the Bagua map is ruled by the wood element. And funny enough, I have a nice natural wood front door. And I'm the Carlwood, so how fitting. And the corresponding energy sector is money and abundance. So boom goes the dynamite. 
and let's stack it up. I also just recently found out that I live a mile from a commemorative plaque on the site of the Navy's first international radio transmission. And I did know this, but FDR used to do his fireside chats from Coronado, also here in San Diego. I found that out years after starting the show that played off that very same name. And I hate to say this because it probably sounds pretty annoying, but I tend to stumble into synchronicity, good energy, and good magic completely subconsciously or unconsciously. And then if I actively try to do something magic or energy related, I find that I'm second guessing myself and probably overthinking it. And it just doesn't seem to flow as elegantly as things that I sometimes do on accident. Like embodying the correct element in a building that just happens to face the right direction according to an ancient Eastern practice I never consulted before, and then investigated when it's definitely too late to do much about. And that's life, right? I guess. Happy accidents? But as Dr. Brown said, feng shui is a lot more than just your front door. It is a process of continual refinement. So you can always improve your energy flow, and why not put some thought into that? I've definitely seen the links between physical clutter and mental clutter, which is enough for me to think there's something behind the feng shui stuff. Also, plus people probably noticed that I uploaded a second show earlier today that is a plus member bonus episode, no free hour, just a one hour thank you show for those plus members who keep me well fed, and it's with Dr. Sam Milham, who's probably the world's leading authority on dirty electricity, and he's done a lot of great work on occupational hazards and damage that workers have incurred due to corporate neglect or ignorance if we're going to be fair, but they definitely don't fess up when the reports are done either, so there's that, but it is an informative show on a lesser-known environmental hazard, and I put it up first today because in this one, in the Plus show, I actually asked Dr. Brown about dirty electricity, and I wanted the Plus people to have that context of a whole episode dedicated to it. If you like my interviews, I hope you're already a Plus member, but this might be a good time to think about it. Either way, back to the cooking stuff, I'm sure I'm not alone in using old pots and pans and seeing the scratches on the inside of them and thinking, eh, I don't know if this is safe or not, <laughs> but I don't actually go retool my kitchen. Hopefully this episode fuels some of us to do that if we think we should. And I'm also convinced that avoiding aluminum in every possible way is really important. And if you have people in your life that use a lot of foil or are guilty of any of the things we talked about today, get them Dr. Brown's book. Have them listen to this. It's not nearly as extreme as other THC episodes can be, but it's pretty crucial advice. So overall for us here, it's been a pretty health-heavy month with today's show and the Dirty Electricity Bonus Show, and Dr. Stephen Hussey, and Dr. Gerald Pollack. And I do think the water stuff is about way more than just health, but man, six shows this month, four with doctors. Can you tell I'm trying to dial up the experts and tone down the wild speculation? Obviously, everything is an ebb and a flow, but I did put some thought into that this month. If you want to make a convincing case, 
maybe spending time with people who've looked at things professionally for two or three decades is a good idea. I also think that members of the conspiracy culture can be a little harsh in their judgments, and I thought there was a little bit of a need to remind some of us that there are good people who start in the machine, get out, and then try to educate us the right way. And I think the four doctors we spoke with this month are great examples of that. I think it's important to not be anti-intellectual when forming these arguments, especially if we want to expand our viewpoints beyond our own already convinced inner circles. And I also didn't leave out the fun stuff entirely, the esoteric, the speculative, the occult, egregores in Antarctica. (laughs) Well-balanced, I would say, but it's not really for me to decide. And so I should thank you for listening. As for today's show, a couple other subject areas that we got into for the Plus People second hour were the nuances of increasing your manifestation abilities, getting better water in the home, purifying water with your mind, why we should open up our homes rather than seal them off, the importance of houseplants, and a section I really loved, what you should know about glyphosate. He's very knowledgeable about glyphosate where it came from, how it got into everything, and just how screwed we are. But it also drove home the importance of getting some veggie wash. I got some veggie wash now. My wife thinks I'm getting a little crazy with this stuff, but it's happening. So worthy content for armoring yourself up against the toxic system we're stuck in. Dr. Brown is a little more kind to the creators and distributors of these toxic products than I would be, but he's a respectable person and I'm a pothead extremist. And if his approach is more palatable for average people, then so be it. We just want our friends and family healthy, however the message gets to them. So thank Dr. Brown for his dedication if you get the chance, and I'll see you soon. Your move, toxic touting, corporate criminals, petrochemical product pushers, and poison arrows of our energetic lives. Your fucking move. Well, they tie that yellow ribbon around the oak tree. They've worn out all the prayer in their hearts. All along thought they were rooting for the home team. As they're sent to the game and torn apart. Do it.